0: every week we repair something called a Go Deep Sheet that has questions on it regarding the text. Um, and Pretty much every week I think, oh, there's a lot here that I'm not able to say. That's particularly true as we're looking at this passage in John chapter 10 and the first 10 verses. Um, I would encourage you to grab one of these and and go over the text more deeply and see if the Lord has other things to say to you. Uh, I want you to imagine you're a bus driver who's been driving the same route for years and uh, There are a bunch of people up at your next stop, so you pull over, you hit the button to open the doors, you check your phone, your spouse has texted and wants you to pick up Chinese for dinner. And so you text back, okay, and you close the doors and you take off, and somewhere down the block, you realize that none of those passengers got on the bus at the last stop. You left them all behind. Anyone who's been doing public speaking for any length of time has had an experience similar to that one. You've been going on for about 10 minutes when it dawns on you that your hearers aren't on the bus. The audience isn't tracking with you. You can see it in their faces. So you're on the way to what you think is a great destination, and everything's going smoothly, but they aren't with you. This thing that you've been thinking about and working on And gone over repeatedly, this thing that makes perfect sense to you isn't making any sense to them. If you've done public speaking and you've had that experience, it might comfort you to know that Jesus did too. One day he was busy teaching and he looked at his audience and he realized they weren't tracking. They didn't get it. They hadn't gotten on the bus. The one who had all the best words... The one who was the word wasn't getting his point across. So what does Jesus do then? Does he leave them behind? No, he goes back and gets them. Uh, their inability to understand didn't put him off. When he saw that they didn't get it, he simply circled back and and picked them up and took a different tack. So this is verse 7, John chapter 10, verse 7. Therefore, and that is because they didn't get it the first time, Therefore, Jesus said again. So this isn't a major point in our introduction of Jesus, but it's an important one. Jesus doesn't get frustrated with people when they don't understand, only when they won't understand. And there's a difference. So if you're here today and you just aren't getting it, don't worry, it's okay. If you're here today and you just won't get it, that's another matter. Before we read the text, there are a couple things I want to note. Keep in mind that John didn't write his gospel with number verses or chapter breaks. None of the books of the Bible were written that way originally. All those number verses and chapter breaks were added more than a millennium later, just so we could find our way in the text. Um, If you remember that, you'll notice how John begins a set of themes in chapter 9 that he continues in chapter 10. So the first verse of chapter 10 flows right out of the last verse of chapter 9 without any break in John's thought. In chapter 9, one of the key terms is the word to know. The the principal Greek words for to know appear nine times in chapter, let me me re-say that, eight times in chapter 9, where the formerly blind man knows Jesus is from God, But the religious leaders say they don't even know where he's from. Chapter 10 also uses the word know repeatedly, seven times if I counted right. Jesus' sheep know him in chapter 10. They know his voice, but they don't know a stranger's voice. John's readers would have realized, so we break right there in chapter eight. Chapter 9 seems like a whole different thing than chapter 10, but the original readers wouldn't have done that. And they realize that the blind man they just read about in chapter 9 is one of Jesus' sheep because he knew the Lord. He recognized his voice. He followed his direction. So first that's the first thing. Second thing to note, chapter 9 has a lot to do with vision. The blind man didn't have any, but Jesus gave him vision. The Pharisees thought they had 20-20 vision. Jesus tells them that they are, in fact, quite blind. But if chapter 9 has a lot to do with vision, chapter 10 has a lot to do with hearing. So the shepherd calls his sheep, and his sheep hear him. His sheep know his voice, and they follow it. They won't hear a stranger's voice, but they know their shepherd's voice. So let's read our text, chapter 10. Verses 1 through 10, John 10, <clears throat> Jesus is speaking. He says, I tell you the truth, the man who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, or it's the same Greek word as door, okay, um, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Now, there's a, in in uh, Jewish thought, there's a difference between thieves and robbers, and maybe we'll go into that and go deep, but as um, a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. when he has brought all of them out, when he has brought out all his own, when he has brought out all his own let's see if I can find my place He goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they didn't understand what he was telling them. They hadn't got on the bus. Therefore, Jesus said again, "'I tell you the truth, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and and go out and find pasture.'" The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, I mentioned the New Testament context to this passage, but there's also an Old Testament background. So there's always an Old Testament background, which is something to keep in mind. The background here comes in three parts. First, the Old Testament use of shepherd imagery to depict Israel's leaders including repeated instances in which God himself or his Messiah is pictured as Israel's shepherd. So Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. The Old Testament's full of that. Second piece of the background. The denunciations in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel of self-centered shepherds, leaders of God's people who didn't care about the sheep. And then the third part of that background is Psalm 118, which speaks of opening the gate of righteousness, the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. We'll get to that one a little bit later. As to the denunciations of Israel's leaders, principal text is Ezekiel 34. So pretty much all of Ezekiel 34, but I'm just going to read the first few verses, verses two through four. God says to Ezekiel, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Shouldn't shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourself with the wool, slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. Ruling people harshly and brutally is what just happened in the last chapter when the shepherds, the religious leaders mistreated one of the sheep because he wouldn't let them use him to advance their personal agenda, or vendetta would be more like it. Not everyone who enters the sheepfold is a shepherd. Some people are just after what they can get for themselves. And that's why Jesus says what he does at the beginning of this chapter. After seeing what the religious leaders did to the blind man, he wanted to differentiate himself from them. He wasn't like those leaders, He wasn't there to use the sheep, but to care for them. Jesus still differentiates himself from religious figures who claim to represent God, but use religion as a means for personal gain. Jesus knows his sheep, his people, they won't follow a leader like that. They may get confused for a little while, but they will eventually turn away from a false shepherd. You know, right, that... The term pastor is simply the Latin word for shepherd. It's the same word. There are bogus pastor shepherds now, just like then, who don't feed the sheep but feed on the sheep. Whenever someone appears in the sheepfold, and this happens all the time, calling sheep, before you follow him or her, check to see where they're leading. If it's down a money trail, or a glory trail, get away as fast as you can. Even if the person says good, true, and inspiring things, if the money ends up lining that teacher's pocket, or the glory piles up at his or her feet, something's wrong. That person isn't a real shepherd. The point Jesus is making here is that he is the genuine, real-deal God-appointed shepherd. He's the one God promised to send when other shepherds had succumbed to self-centeredness. That, by the way, is, again, Ezekiel 34, verse 23. God's going to send a shepherd, a David-like shepherd who's going to take care of his people. Jesus saying, I'm that person. When his hearers don't get it, though, when they don't get what he's saying, they don't get on the bus... Jesus circles back and picks them up again. He changes his images, and he tries one more time. This time he says that he's the door for the sheep. Now, maybe he didn't so much change images as repurpose the one he was using. So out in the fields where the sheep grazed. So this is a, this is a society where people saw sheep grazing all the time. That was their world. And out in the fields where sheep grazed, owners would construct a sheep pen because they didn't want their shepherds coming all the way back home every night. So they sh- they they, they uh, penned their sheep out in the fields. The the pens were often made of stone walls, um, and the stone walls had briars on top of them. So you know the idea for razor wire and that kind of thing at the prison that's as old as this. It's been around forever. So there would be that on top of the walls. They often buttressed one side of a rock wall or a cliff. That made up one of the walls, and then there'd be three more walls. And they would leave a narrow opening in one of the walls, a doorway, if you will, but without a door in it, into which the shepherd would lead the sheep at night. And when the sheep were all in, the shepherd would lay across the opening, in which case he was both the shepherd and the door. Uh, We're not sure that shepherds were doing that as early as the first century. We know they were doing that after that time. But it's a possibility. But whatever the shepherds were doing in the first century, uh, we want to see what Jesus is doing in this passage. He's continuing to differentiate himself from religious leaders who claim to represent God. And he wants to differentiate himself from the outcome of following them, differentiate the outcome of following them from the outcome of following him. So in verse 7... He's turned the bus around. He's trying something new. And he he again uses one of those I am emphatic statements in the style of deity. Those I am statements are Jesus' way of introducing us to him, uh, introducing who he is. And here he says, I am the door or gate, the word can mean both, for the sheep. All whoever came before me were thieves and robbers. Now, there's some things to think about here. For one, if Jesus felt it necessary to differentiate differentiate himself from people who claimed to represent God back then, we might be right in thinking he would do the same today. So, you and I know people who have walked away from God. There might be some in this room this morning. uh, Because They so closely identified God with some pastor or teacher, and that pastor or teacher let them down. And they thought, if that's what God's like, I want no part of him. If that was you at some point, I want you to know that was a mistake. That is not what God is like. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. He's the real thing. The rest of us, and even the best of us, Are still incomplete and flawed images, Jesus won't let you down. In verse 9, Jesus repeats the claim that He's the door. And, And that's significant because, to my knowledge, this is the only time in the Gospels that Jesus makes one of these emphatic I am claims twice. And that means it's important. The thing about a door is it leads somewhere, it leads to an outcome. Jesus tells us in verse 9 and 10 where it leads. It leads to a place of safety or salvation. Whoever enters through me will be saved. It leads to a place of freedom. And don't just think to heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying. But to the place where of, of salvation, the place of the people of God. And that is a place of freedom. Where there is room to move, to grow, and to become. The person who enters through the door will, verse 9, come in and go out and find pasture. There's room here. If you go through the door that is Christ, you won't find yourself in a prison, but in a pasture where your senses are filled and your soul is nourished. As David put it, he said to God, you've set my feet in a spacious place. I knew a guy named Eddie who worked at a gas station. This is back in the day uh, when gas stations still serviced cars. And, and he was at the gas station when he came to Christ. And, and when he came to faith in Jesus, he thought that the fun times were all in the past. <laughs> it, it was all Bible reading and prayer and boring church services now until he died and went to heaven. So from now on, he thought it's a matter of saying, not my will, but thine be done, And he was pretty sure that God's will was restrictive and confining and not any fun. Religion may lead to confinement. Jesus does not. Jesus is the door into salvation. That is, into a bigger, richer, freer life than we could otherwise know. Some people think that when you sign up to be God's person, you have to agree to not do about a million things. And you know what? There's some truth to that. But it's also terribly misleading. It's like thinking that your car is confining because there's a million things you can't or shouldn't do with it. Like you can't do somersaults with it. Or at least you shouldn't. You can't jump off the ground in it. Or you shouldn't. You can't drive up or down a cliff in it. You can't ride on the roof. You can't make dinner in it, about a million other things. But you can drive it to the gym where you can do all the somersaults you want and jump rope. You can drive it to the mountains where you can rock climb if you choose. You can drive it to a gourmet restaurant where you have the best dinner of your life. You can look at a car and say, oh, that is so constraining. But that's rather missing the point, don't you think? See, the car opens up a world to you, and so does Jesus. A world you would otherwise never know. A world of adventure and excitement and joy. And yes, there are things you can't do or you shouldn't do because you'll hurt yourself or hurt others. But to focus on them is to miss the point. Only in Christ can we get free from the stranglehold of the past. In Christ, we can extend forgiveness, and we can receive it in him, not outside of him. In Christ, we can experience a dimension of life which would otherwise remain out of reach, the spiritual. We can hear God speak. We can be energized by his spirit. We can join in the world-transforming conquest of God's kingdom. My gas station friend Eddie had it backwards to come through Christ is to come out of the narrow, constrictive tunnel that is contemporary culture into the wide-open spaces of creativity, responsibility, and empowerment in the kingdom of God. Society's always trying to put people into a straitjacket. And you know, most people don't even realize it. Do these things this way. Use these words. Think these thoughts. Be yourself in exactly the same way everybody else is being themselves, Jesus takes off the straitjacket. He opens the prison door. Henry Nouwen put it this way. The great spiritual task facing me is to so fully trust that I belong to God, that I can be free in the world, free to speak when my words are not received, free to act when my actions are criticized, free also to receive love from people, and to be grateful for all the signs of God's presence in the world. Only Jesus can open the way to that kind of freedom. And some people have found that kind of freedom in a prison cell. Because Jesus is just that good. He sums up all of this at the end of verse 10. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Others came to take from the sheep, from God's people, not to give to them, to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came so that we might have the life God planned for us, the life human beings were specially created to experience and to enjoy. All right, one more thing, and then I'll wrap this up. Earlier, I mentioned that that there seems to be a connection between what Jesus says here in Psalm 118. Open for me the gate of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. That's almost recited at the Feast of Tabernacles. So if these events took place around that time, the time of the feast, which seems to be the case, and you might want to refer back to the sermon, the last sermon in this series that I preached, I am the light of the world from chapter 8 for background on that. If if this was recited at the Feast of Tabernacles, Psalm 118, if these events happened then, Psalm 118 would be on everyone's mind. Because on the first morning of that feast, the festival goers would walk through the Eastern Gate, which scholars think was called the Gate of Righteousness. And they would do it in a ritual of worship. And this psalm would be recited. That's the same gate through which the glory of the Lord departed in Ezekiel's vision. The gate through which the people went into exile. And it was the gate through which God's glory, God himself, was prophesied to return. When Jesus says he's the door or the gate, he's suggesting that God comes to his people through him. So when Jesus says he's the gate or the door, he's saying God comes to us and we come to life, life that is life indeed, life that's bigger than us and overflows us. God comes to us, we come to life through Jesus who is the gate. Imagine there's a wall in front of you and on the other side of that wall is reality, is life is you as God always intended you to be. You that is free and just overflowing with life. Between you and all that is this wall. You look one direction, and as far as you can see, there's the wall. You look the other direction, and you can't see any end to it. You've tried to scale that wall a thousand times. You thought a new car, a new house, a new look, a new spouse would carry you over into the life that is life indeed, but it never worked. When you got all done, you were still on the wrong side of the wall. But look closely. There's a door in the wall. There is a way through, a way into life, and it is Jesus. He is the door. Through him, we can enter the life that is life indeed. Have you done so? if you haven't will you do so and why not right now i invite you to pray and would you bow your heads and join me you don't have to understand it all you don't have to figure it out or do it the right way you do need to trust Jesus. Go through him, go with him, be his. And he will lead you into the life that is life indeed. I thank you, Lord, for doing that for me. And about a billion other people. for being the door into something we'd otherwise never know lord we acknowledge that you are the way and the truth and the life For anyone here this morning who hasn't gone through that door, would you help them? Help them in what they need, either in their thoughts, uh, in their resolution, whatever it might be, Lord. And do this because you are who you are. You're the one who turns the bus around and picks up the stragglers. And for that, we bless your name. Amen.